Welcome to Mother Food, a podcast dedicated to mothers who turn the traditional role of feeding into professional success. I'm your host, Elisa Timoshkina, event planner, supper club host, cook, food writer, and first-time mama. In this podcast, we will meet women who forged inspiring careers in food while also embracing life as mothers. We cover topics from life-work balance and self-nurture to pregnancy diets, breastfeeding, baby weaning, family meal planning, and a lot more. No matter where you are on your journey now, you will find support, advice, inspiration, and a community here. Mother Food is a space for heartfelt discussions filled with recipes, food memories, practical tips, and honest insights into the lives of modern mothers. I am so delighted to welcome you to this very first episode of the very first season of my new podcast, Mother Food. It seems that the idea for this podcast has been around since pretty much the first day I found out I was pregnant. It took me a bit of time to get here, and when I was finally ready to start, something happened which was completely outside of my control. Well, it was pretty much outside of anyone's control. A pandemic broke out. So my initial plan of recording this podcast in a professional studio went out of the window. While at first I was really upset and annoyed about it, I then realized that what can be a more perfect setting for this podcast than recording it at home with my toddler around. She has become my co-host, toddling around, making noise, asking to be breastfed in the middle of a recording. She sets the perfect tone and creates the perfect soundscape for the conversations that I host with my guests. After all, this ability to embrace imperfections, to realize that they tell a story as well, and to learn to listen to that story, is probably the greatest lesson that I have learned from being a mother. The other challenge that I had was deciding which episode to launch with. And after some consideration, I've made a slightly uneasy decision to share my own story, to be my own first guest. I've been very lucky to have found the perfect person to interview me for this podcast. Her name is Kimberly Barnard. We used to go to school together, but we have lost touch over the years. And recently I have come across her work, which resonated straight away with me. Kim is a coach that focuses on helping entrepreneurial mums create a business and a life that supports and encourages them to thrive in motherhood. She is also host of her own podcast, Wealth and Wellness, which I absolutely love and which has provided me with so much guidance, inspiration and practical advice over the recent months. So it's been a real honor to have Kim interview me and I very much hope that you enjoy our conversation and I can't wait to hear what you think about it. Hi, Kim. Thank you so much for finding the time to interview me for my own podcast. I'm really excited to have you. 
I am absolutely over the moon to be doing this, Alyssa. You've got such an amazing story and there are some really like juicy details that I feel like we should be sharing with your audience. So yes, the thing about this podcast is that I have a co-host <laughs> called Rosie, who is a 18-month-old toddler um, and she's not always, not always very keen to play along with this plan, but let's see what happens. No, let's definitely. I think it's very important because, you know, the name of your show is Mother Food. And obviously that is in some ways tied to your own journey of being a mother and also the role that food plays in a family setup. So really, I want to start there. What is your inspiration or was the inspiration behind starting Mother Food? Sure. Yes, that's a good place to start. I think in a nutshell, this is the podcast I wish I had available for me when I just became a mother. And I love the idea of mother being the food because that's what we are for the first two years or so, you know, if you are breastfeeding. And to me, breastfeeding was the most challenging, traumatic, yet rewarding you know, inspiring journey and relationship. So to me, that's kind of really was the key to reconsidering and kind of redefining my own relationship to food and, um, you know, what environment do I create for my child? Because the importance of food and your relationship with your child in the early days um, is just paramount. But also there's so much pressure around it as well so to me I think it's that initial um, you know I guess I would even say trauma of not realizing how difficult breastfeeding can be that's kind of what started me thinking about you know what role does food play and you know you literally are food for your baby and just kind of yeah send me off on a journey about thinking about how we feed ourselves, how we nourish our bodies and mind and how we nourish our families. And it's just such a huge task. But at the same time, women do it so effortlessly and it's just incredible. Yeah, because it is, it's second nature to us. Absolutely. And actually your, your relationship with food played such a big part in your childhood, you know, you talk a little bit about it in your book, um, Salt and Time. So I really wanted to delve a little bit more into that. You know, what part did food play growing up for you? Mm. I think it's for many, um, food is uh, such a big part of your childhood, isn't it? There's something about the memories and the scents and the tastes that come up the most. Um, mm. You know, when you think about your childhood, a lot of it is connected to food. Um, and of course, you know, in many families, um, women are the ones who provide the food for their children. And your connection to your mother is one of the most formative and important ones in your childhood. And by default, because your mother is also feeding you, in a way, she kind of becomes a representation of nurture and food in general. I was quite lucky um, that I was brought up by three generations of women in my family. I was born in the early 80s in the Soviet Union. 
And back mm -hmm. then, um, it was very common for women to have children very early. So my mom had me when she just turned 21. Yeah. And her mom had her when she just turned 21. Or, you know, she was also in her early 20s. So the generation gap was really small. So I think my grand must have been in her like mid-40s when I was born. Um, and then my great-grandmother was only 70 or so. So I had these three women um, around. Um, I mean, my mom was still studying. She was still at university. So I don't remember her that much being around in my kind of first couple of years. So it was mostly my grannies, my great-grandmother and my grandmother who were feeding me. And it was quite, yeah, quite an amazing experience because I think, um, especially my great-grandmother, you know, how they say with each generation, because of parents, you become more soft and like you allow your children more. So that's why grandparents mm -hmm. often let grandkids get away with things. So my great-grandmother, she just adored me and I had like absolute rain <laughs> when she was looking <laughs> up to me. Um, so I have the most wonderful food memories connected to her and just kind of that blissful, you know, do whatever you want, play, playing around and eating um, kind of childhood. That sounds like it would have cultivated a really positive relationship with food because you were being exposed to these strong women, women who nurtured you. What kind of attitude did you develop towards food and feeding others? It really went through a few phases for me. So even though I grew up in a loving, nurturing environment, mm. I did not really grow up kind of loving to cook in a way. On the one hand, like my mom is an absolutely amazing cook and she's a crazy party host. Uh, she loves having friends over and for kind of as long as I can remember every Friday night, she had like a girls gathering or, you know, family gatherings. So there was always be some kind of a dinner party going on. But at the same time, I think my mom, um, she had, since she was a child, she had a very unbalanced relationship to food. Um, I mean, it's very a bit problematic to kind of say she was fat, you know, in our current um, culture that, you know, about body positivity mm -hmm. but she grew up in the kind of 60s and 70s in the Soviet Union where such things didn't really exist and obviously knowledge about nutrition and how to feed your children from kind of um, health and psychological point of view wasn't available so my mom had a big appetite and my gran um, just fed her so my mom did have issues with her weight since she was very young um, and I do remember her a lot um struggling kind of fluctuating between cooking lots but then going on diets so she's constantly been on diets and kind of going on and off different diets and going uh, to the gym um so she did grow up with a very problematic relationship to her own body and i think to me um it obviously did send out some mixed messages because on the one hand there was this really beautiful plentiful um, environment uh, with lots of food and dinner parties but at the same time there was a very kind of nervous energy around food so for some part of my teenage years I was kind of like not really bothered by food and I did at some point have an eating disorder in my early 20s and I think it's precisely my interest in cooking that gradually helped me kind of cure myself um, and yeah. develop a very healthy 
um, psychologically very healthy relationship to food, seeing food as, um, you know, it's a medicine, it's the most important fuel in life that you can have, really. Um, and I, I read so much about nutrition and kind of started delving into various culinary books. Um, and then, you know, it's very interesting how such a long detour then brought me back to my early childhood, actually realizing what a beautiful nurturing environment I've had. So I kind mm. of, you know, chose to focus more on that rather than kind of dwell on the problematic relationship that I um, grew up facing and also kind of developed myself at some part of my life. Yeah. And it's so unusual to grow up having almost like three mother figures. Yes. And I wonder, you know, how... How did that kind of prepare you for your own journey into, toward, you know, towards motherhood, to becoming a mother? Mm. Again, it was a very kind of similar to food. It was a very difficult journey in a way. Um, mm. Part of me, as I've said, because in Russia, people tend to start families very young. And um, in many ways, just Russian mentality um, kind of general ideology in a way around gender relationships is very old-fashioned and you mm -hmm. kind of presume that if you are a woman you must have children and you must have them young and I've been in the UK since I was 15 um, obviously absorbing a lot of cultural values especially values around gender relationship from yeah. here um, which in my view are, are a lot more healthy um, so part of me was very kind of conflicted about this whole idea of you know, women must have children. And my family, of course, was um, kind of expecting me to have children as soon as I kind of got my first serious, more or less serious boyfriend. And that immediately made me feel, oh, I, I don't feel easy about that. Um, and then my relationship history wasn't particularly good, <laughs> if that's the word. Mm -hmm. You know, I've never been in a long enough stable relationship to even consider having children um, up until I've met my current partner. Um, that was in my late 20s. So for my family, you know, since, so, since my late teens till my late 20s, those 10 years, they were spent in agony thinking, mm -hmm. oh my goodness, <laughs> she'll never get married. She's getting old. Like you have to have children before you're 30 because otherwise all, all these health complications. Um, yeah. So that was this one part on a more kind of psychological, intellectual level that just made me want to shove that whole motherhood, uh, motherhood, <laughs> motherhood <laughs> thing away and not address it at all because I was just like, I'm not following a you know, stereotypical Russian gender pattern. But then on the other hand, um, I've also had um, problems with my hormones and the way I've been treated in Russia you know, not in a very holistic way at all. I was just given a pill for years and years. And then obviously no wonder I was struggling to conceive because my reproductive system wasn't working properly. And at some point, I think I must have been 18 or in my early 20s, one of the doctors that I was seeing in Russia, she just blatantly said, you might not be able to have children. And mm -hmm. now having done so much reading about, especially women's health and where food comes in, you know, in that respect, um, yeah. you know, I'm just appalled at how I've been treated because this, you know, 18 is still a very young age to give a diagnosis like that. 
and you know my nutrition wasn't considered at all and I was going through an eating disorder at the time you know it's just a whole host of things that uh, made me very kind of partly very scared that I might not be able to have children but also partly like wanting to shove that whole situation even further away um, and interestingly turning to food was my way of kind of really healing myself on, on so many levels uh, from my relationship to food to my relationship to my own body and the questions of fertility um, so I think yeah the journey towards motherhood has been very complicated but inter interestingly food was such a big always big part of it and the funniest thing was that um, when I've changed my career, because uh, working in food is something that I've only been doing for the past five years, um, I was so focused on my career and it was going really well. I just got my cookbook deal, which was an absolute dream come true. And I was like, okay, this is my, you know, my kind of mid thirties is my time to push for my career. And then all of a sudden I'm pregnant. <laughs> And I was like, oh, uh-oh, <laughs> that wasn't part of the plan. Why did it happen now? And again, mother, motherhood and food were like a complete kind of unison for me. Again, I was like, this is so interesting. So yeah, yeah it's kind of a mysterious relationship that I'm trying to make sense of. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? You talking about this and really the word mother food it just keeps coming up. <laughs> it, it does. It really does. Because there's so many aspects of this, you know, it's, it's all comes down to nourishment, right? And if we think about it in a very kind of way of zooming out, you know, you refer to mother earth and mm -hmm. she gives you food and she gives you, she yields, you know, all of this, these nutrients that we consume and that nourish us. And in turn, we nourish life within us. And it's almost like this beautiful cycle that you are almost rediscovering. Mm, yeah. It's, it's really quite interesting because I wonder how much of this is really tied into becoming a mother. Or was it always there? Yeah, I think for me, despite my problematic or conflicting relationship to the whole idea of motherhood I absolutely loved being pregnant and the moment when I got pregnant once the whole kind of shock and oh my god how am I going to manage a cookbook and you know being pregnant and all of that once that subsided I just I've never felt better in my life I know it sounds a bit hippie and a bit like woo woo that I felt like I literally felt like there's a universe inside me and there was like this absolute magic um energy that i just felt kind of really early on from like week i don't know eight or something and um mm. I've, I've been seeing an osteopath um through during my pregnancy and he was like were you able to sense your child really early on because like he said he could feel a really strong kind of feminine energy emanating i know for some people they might mm. cringe hearing this but i it just to me it's really Go with it. <laughs> yeah like to me it really I did really feel that um and I mean you know my pregnancy wasn't completely blissful like I did have sickness and obviously horrible like pelvic floor pain and all of that so you know there was a bit of an 
challenge in it as well. But overall, I genuinely have never felt better in my life. So mm. in a way, it almost feels like, yeah, um, it just helped, helped kind of open up this new dimension that already existed somewhere on some level. But thanks to pregnancy and motherhood, it kind of allowed me to really tap into that. I was going to say, I want to come back to you being pregnant and, and how you kind of nourished yourself during that time. But I just want to, at this point, really, you talked about salt and time in the cookbook and doing the cookbook at the same time you were pregnant. Now, I don't think, I think there's some irony in there that you were creating life within yourself, but you were also creatively creating this book about <laughs> yeah. nourishment at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, we've talked about it before, but I always say to you, like, it's like you birthed two babies at the same time. Absolutely. And it's actually really interesting that a few of my other guests on this podcast, they also had a very similar experience. So it's really? just incredible that that kind of energy of creativity, you know, the more you do, it almost kind of brings even more to you. And mm. yeah, that idea of kind of double creativity is quite incredible that, you know, on the one hand, there's a very um, goal orientated, very kind of purposeful, action based creation with the book. And then there's this most beautiful, um, natural creation that your body kind of knows what it's doing. And you actually don't play, you know, your mind wow. and you deliberately don't play any parts in it. I find it so fascinating. What you've just said there is total balance. Because if you think about the book in the way you've just described, that's a very masculine energy, right? It's very kind of structured, yeah. very. And then the presence of, like your osteopath said, this, this female energy, this feminine energy, it's all about flow. It just happens very easy. It happens, you know, you surrender to what's happening within your body. And having those two things at the same time almost sounds like, you were in total balance. That makes perfect sense now. I think maybe that's why I look back on my pregnancy thinking was the best time of my life. Mm. It, wasn't, it wasn't just the pregnancy itself. It was also what else I was doing at the time and having that kind of sense of purpose. And yeah, it was at the time, it was my absolute ultimate dream come true, being able to do the book. Um, but also being pregnant was kind of a secret kind of hidden dream come true that I never allowed myself to really feel because I thought I might not be able to have children or I had all those kind of Russian mentality issues that I didn't want to kind of yeah. subscribe to. So yeah, in a way, I think that that year was really, really special and hasn't been able to <laughs> recreate that feeling since. But we can talk about let's, that in a bit. Yeah, okay, let's talk about that in a bit because I think matrescence is something that we all struggle with. Mm. But I want to come back to this because if pregnancy was like the, the time that you felt the best, how did you really nourish yourself during that time? Because again, that, that it brings everything together that mother food stands for. It's about this nourishing of yourself and you nourishing your baby and this beautiful cycle that you know mothers and food create yeah um i well the other thing that i found very interesting 
again, coming back to my mom and her issues with her body, like she's put on a lot of weight when she was pregnant. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's a common fear that lots of women have. So that was obviously kind of playing somewhere in my mind. And I was wondering, oh, what if, because I was also a vegetarian at the time. And I was wondering, kind of a bit scared that like, oh, what if I start getting cravings for meat and I really don't want to be doing that. So I had a bit of anxiety around food to begin with, but somehow maybe I, again, I managed to ease into it and I did not have any crazy cravings at all. Like, you know, how some women describe they want to have like 10 croissants before they leave the house in the morning. Um, <laughs> yeah. like, like luckily or not, I mean, I just didn't have that. Um, if anything, I was really craving fruit. Um, another thing yeah. that is also like now that I'm thinking about it, um, the way kind of pregnancy ties into the, my own food journey is that I've been having really like horrible um, issues with my digestion um, that no yeah. one can diagnose. They just kind of write it off as IBS and that's it. So I would suffer from like horrendous bloating any fruit I would eat would just make me look pregnant. <laughs> you know, like how lots of women describe their bloated bellies as, you know, nine months pregnant. Um, but suddenly when I was pregnant, that kind of problem disappeared and I was able to eat fruit again, especially in my first trimester when I was feeling really nauseous, eating like apples. Oh my God, I was just like enjoying it so much. So I was eating apples like crazy. Yeah. Um, and, and then the only other crazy craving I had was at the end of the pregnancy were pineapples. Again, something I, I love, but I wasn't able to eat it before because it would give me horrible indigestion and bloating. Uh -huh. But miraculously, I, I was literally eating 200 grams of pineapples every evening and feeling fantastic. So funnily enough, I had a very healthy diet. Um, the only concern was um, the lack of iron. So I got quite anemic after six months. And the midwife was really encouraging me, you know, if you're not eating meat, like make sure that you eat lots of spinach and kind of try and supplement yeah. iron in your diet. So I ended up eating lots of kind of really um, healthy kind of Indian style curries with lots of spinach and chickpeas. So just really packing in lots of protein and um, leafy greens. Lots yeah. of kind of, so yeah, basically lots of stews with beans and dark leafy greens. And just yeah. using different spices like Georgian spices or Indian spices to make them kind of different and interesting. Lots of nuts. Mm. So yeah, actually my diet was um, super healthy. And my concern was I wasn't putting on enough weight. And there was a bit of a, at some point, a bit of a kind of scare that my baby is measuring too small um, because of the lack of iron and I'm not putting on enough weight. So I was actually weighing myself kind of every morning trying to see if I put on any weight. Um, yeah. So my kind of story actually turned out to be completely the opposite to what I was scared of, in a way. But overall, it was a very healthy, happy, <laughs> happy diet. Yeah. Yeah. So was it more intuitive eating for you? Did you just reach for the things that felt right to eat? Because you eat meat now, right? Yeah. So for me, the big change came with breastfeeding. Okay. Once Rosie was born. Yeah, I just developed uncontrollable cravings for brownies <laughs> and mm -hmm. chicken. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fight my body. I literally have developed almost like this 
reverential feeling towards my own body after I gave birth. I mean, it's just like insane <laughs> what it's done. And I almost kind of talk about it as a separate entity because I feel like I actually consciously or deliberately haven't done anything. It's all just happened by itself. Mm. So I was like, you know what, if my body wants this, I'm not going to fight it. I'm not going to like shame it. I'm just going to let it have what it needs. Um, yeah. And I, I started eating brownies like crazy. I mean, I would have one every day for at least, gosh, I don't know, six or seven months, <laughs> if not yeah. more. maybe even a year, if I'm honest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it stopped recently. I've kind of come out of my craving, I think just a few months ago. And then chicken was the other thing. And again, I mean, there's absolutely nothing unhealthy about chicken. It's just my own mental beliefs and stuff that I didn't yeah. want to eat chicken. But objectively and from a nutrition point of view, there's nothing wrong with chicken. So I started eating chicken again and feel great. I think that's really important, you know, that I think when we start out on the, the journey into motherhood, we are still you know, unaware of what we're capable of. We've almost shut out that intuitive eating and eating what is right for us. And when we have a being growing inside of us, those, that intuition is almost like turned up. So mm. it is, it plays up in things like wanting to eat the brownies or, you know, craving certain, like for me, it was your story of being pregnant sounds so much like mine because I was low in iron. I like just craved oranges right at the beginning. Mm. I was really wanted carbs. That was my, my thing. But um, it was exactly the same. And I think that we, we need to be aware of that and what we feel nourishes us instead of what conventionally nourishes us, right? So what do we need? Absolutely. And from yeah. that point of view. Yeah, definitely. But I want to talk a little bit more about this shift from becoming a woman to a mother for you. Because we've, we've kind of talked, we touched on it a, a, like a couple of minutes ago about this matrescence. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, that's a phrase that I've only just kind of within the last year really discovered yeah. through my own work. So it's not an, I mean, for me, it wasn't an easy transition. And that's kind of why I want to touch on it a little bit more because I feel like we almost expect this shift to happen quite naturally for us. Mm -hmm. So what was that like for you? Oh, so difficult. Um, especially because I was, as I've said, I absolutely loved my pregnancy and I was just so in tune with my body and I could really feel my child. And I was also, I know it's maybe sounds a bit horrible, but I was so happy that it's a girl. I'm sure mm -hmm. I would have been as happy if it was a boy, but it was, there was a part of me that really sensed that it was a girl. And when it was confirmed, I was like, yes, that's like, it just felt so amazing that I was so kind of in tune with what ha was happening. Um, yeah. And then suddenly when she was born, I mean, the birth itself, it wasn't as natural as I was hoping for it, but it's still relatively, you know, it was still relatively good. Um, nothing kind of no big traumas. I still gave birth and I sensed it all. I didn't have any pain relief. Um, and then yeah. I love, I mean, it was painful beyond words because I was also induced. So my midwife said like, you're crazy that you wanted to do an induction without pain relief. But 
I still mm. did it all without pain relief and it felt at some points like it was yeah just it's not even painful it's just beyond words what it felt like yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but overall I was so happy with how it went like my impression of the whole birth experience is really positive but then it's almost like as soon as she was born and like after a few hours I started feeling really numb and kind of shell-shocked I'm just looking at this baby thinking who is this <laughs> like mm. is that my child and that feeling was just so strange because it's like I felt so connected to her when she was inside and for that initial moment when they've put her on my chest and I still felt that energy like I recognize her but then kind of as soon as I saw her and started looking at her more and I mean no offense to my girl but like you know newborns they're not the most beautiful looking things they're swollen and red and I think I wasn't prepared for it I don't know why even though I've looked at so many birth videos online and you know there's so many beautiful accounts on instagram that capture birth yet i still i struggled with it so much and um and then i don't know if that actually affected my ability to breastfeed so i really felt there was some kind of like hormonal or you know there was definitely something happening that was kind of almost out of my control that i couldn't understand why i feel so numb and disconnected from my child and um Yes, and it it did take me quite a long time, actually. So I think the first six weeks or so, also she was born in November. So when I say it was a dark time, it was quite like literally and metaphorically, <laughs> it was a yeah. bit of a dark time for me. And the struggle to breastfeed was just like, if the birth was fine, it's the breastfeeding that really traumatized me. And again, it's something because... Um, no one talks about it. Now that I'm on the other side, <laughs> everyone talks about it. It's like, oh, of course, but no one tells you that. And to me, that was such a bizarre trick. It's like, well, why isn't everyone talking about it? I guess partly because it will put people off maybe. And then, you know, the NHS is putting so much emphasis on breast is best and how important it is to feed that if there are more honest stories, then even more women would feel kind of discouraged from breastfeeding but yeah. I felt it's kind of almost I felt kind of cheated and tricked by kind of womanhood in general like why no one told me that and then you know now that I talk to my girlfriends and who have children everyone's like oh gosh yes like the first few weeks they're just so difficult and it's like well yeah. let's speak out and make other mothers kind of you know empower them by giving them the knowledge and telling them that even if you struggle for the first couple of months, you'll be fine. Like if someone told me now that I'll be still breastfeeding 18 months later when I was kind of, you know, crying on the floor in the kitchen while my partner was bottle feeding my child with the formula, I would have never believed them saying, well, that's it. Like I failed. I will never be able to breastfeed. And that kind of romantic notion of providing your body, providing the food for your child which to me was like the most beautiful thing nature could possibly design. I was already kind of out of that. But luckily, you know, somehow I've managed to persevere and still enjoying breastfeeding now. And, you know, your story sounds so much like the stories I hear from so many people. It is... <sighs> I'm just thinking about, you know, I spoke to someone like maybe a year ago and it was a doula and she was saying to me, 
when she does postnatal work with people who she's been a doula for, that's one of their questions. Why did no one tell me how hard it was going to be? I actually remember asking my midwife this. And they said to me, because as women, we can't get past the notion of what birth was going to be like. But I agree with you. You know, in those early days, when you feel like the world is falling apart and you, you're failing, it's important to share our stories and it's important to let other women know that this is part of the transition as well. It's not a seamless, easy journey that, you know, maybe it is like that for a few people, but for the majority of us, it is learning and learning is uncomfortable and learning is painful, especially with breastfeeding. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and I think we also, kind of as a society, we, sets ourselves up for a bit of a fail because yeah. this whole emphasis on mother's love and mother's instinct um and actually it's a it's an acquired skill even the instinct you need to ease into it and allow it to kind of speak to you rather than you know because you have so much worry and so much anxiety um and there are other people as well you know like your partner and if your parents are around everyone is getting used to this new person in in your lives um, a friend of mine who has um, five children he said that um, birth kind of in terms of its impact and kind of the energetic force is almost as strong as death only kind of the opposite you know it's, yeah. it's, it's as traumatic and it's as like in, if, you could, if it can be traumatic in a positive way but you know it's as strong and as disruptive to your normal life as death is um, mm -hmm. and for me that made perfect sense but yet no one again no one tells you that you kind of see images of happy women who breastfeed immediately the baby knows what to do that was like the biggest to me that was the biggest kind of disappointment that no the baby doesn't know what to do um, at least yeah. mine didn't um, you both need to learn and it's we not both needed to learn okay. yes yes so to me as much as I welcomed motherhood during pregnancy and as much as I loved it, the actual reality of postpartum was, yeah, really, really difficult. You know, you just, you talked a little bit about obviously not kind of knowing what to do and the way in which things have changed. And you talk about your own childhood and how your, you know, you had your great grandmother there and your grandmother and your mother. And I think that's something that we really forget as women is that we come from a very tribal background where we had all that support. And if we didn't know what to do, someone was there to teach us. And we don't have that in our society now. You know, your, your mum might come over for, you know, if you're fortunate to have, a, you know, your mum around, then your mum might come over and spend a few weeks with you. And then after that, you're very much left on your own. So it's very important to kind of also highlight that, you know, this is a journey that historically we would have walked with other women and mm. now we're doing it very much by ourselves. Yeah, yeah. But you talk a little bit about your postpartum days and, you know, apart from the chocolate brownies and the chicken, <laughs> what, what role did food play for you during those days up until really now? Oh, <laughs> 
It's, I think part of the problem that I've had was again, mm-hmm. that I've slightly romanticized the whole postpartum period. Okay. Maybe I've read a bit too much and every woman has a different story. So I've read some really beautiful stories of, you know, breastfeeding and nurturing yourself with wonderful soups and stuff. So I was like, okay, that's going to be me, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. So I've kind of stocked my fridge. I've made some like soups or stocks and stuff. Um, yeah. I've stuffed my fridge with that. Um, and then when we got home from the hospital, I, I, like, I just remember coming back home and it's like a completely different space. I was so shell-shocked. Um, and I didn't know what to cook and what to eat. So for the first at least couple of weeks, probably, um, I literally had like egg and cress mayo sandwiches from Waitrose. Mm. Um, falafel and hummus at best. That would be like my healthy meal. And I would get my greens from one of those, you know, like green machine smoothie or whatever they're called. Yeah. It's doubtful how healthy those actually, how green they really are. So that mm-hmm. was my diet to begin with. Um, I mean, now thinking back, it's like, well, no wonder my milk supply was a bit low because <laughs> diet of, kind of yeah. and falafels is probably not the best one. Um, and my partner, bless him, like he cooks, but, you know, his cooking is not really his thing. And we didn't have any family around. And then all those things that are frozen, they just look like random objects in a bag. I was like, what the hell is this? Like, I don't know what to do with it. Mm. Um, So I did really struggle in the beginning. And again, struggled even more so because I was like, what the hell is happening? I was so in touch with myself and my needs and my baby when I was pregnant. I'm a great cook. I've just finished a cookbook. Like, surely I should know what to do. But yeah. I just didn't. Luckily, like I've had um, a really amazing, f- really amazing friends um, who are both chefs. So they've um, come over a few times, and she's also a mother. Um, so she's come over with her husband a few times, and they've cooked really delicious meals for us. So like I'm so grateful to them for doing that. Um, and kind of, I think that kind of gradually kicked me back into normal. That like having them come over and kind of reminding me how fun and how like nurturing a good meal can be and kind of cooking together with them and having a meal together with them. To me, that was a real um, turning point, I'd say. Um, and kind of from, and that was around six weeks, I think, or five, something like that. Um, yeah. So I think from that point, I kind of started, and I guess obviously um, by that point, the hormones start to kind of settle and and then you generally start to get used to this new life. Um, and the thing that helped me the most, um, and I guess that was my first kind of attempt to do something similar to mother food. Um, I started an Instagram channel called Baby Brain Kitchen, where I would just film myself cooking and just kind of having Rosie in the little, you know, bouncy yeah. chair on the table and stuff. She was only like three months or something. Um, and that kind of really kicked me back into my gear and kind of revisiting all the lovely um, nourishing foods. Like I just got really crazy about sweet potatoes because they're quite, quite good for lactation as well. So eating lots wow. of like fatty salmon, sweet potatoes, rice. Um, so kind of carbs, healthy carbs and healthy fats. And I was also taking like fenugreek supplements for milk supply. And it really like, I just 
kicked me up into like a whole new level of um, milk production and just feeling so much better again. And that's kind of around three months. That's when we stopped um, using formula and I just went into like breastfeeding full time. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, what you've just described in your relationship to food after having Rosie and then going, having those friends come over and bring that back to you. And that's, it's beautiful because it's someone nourishing you that has sparked your kind of passion for nourishing yourself again. Yeah. Yeah, that's very true. It's, it's just, it's, I just keep seeing cycles when you talk about, about this and it's, you know, this food cycle of, of, of nourishment really, you know, by nourishing others, how we nourish ourselves. And, and it kind of is a, a beautiful kind of passing along because even what you do with, you know, Kino Vino and, and through your cookbook and all of these different avenues and, and mother food as well is all about nourishment in some kind of way, whether that's nourishing through food or nourishing others through stories of, of your own journey and others' journeys into, mother, you know, into motherhood and how food is tied into it. So obviously food has played a huge part in your life. And you can see that from, you know, a very personal point of view when you talk about it in the cookbook, but also, you know, it is, it is a business part of your life as well. It's, you've married your passion into it. So you've been doing Kino Vino for a few years. And so really I wondered how you found the transition of going back to work with food after becoming a mother. What was that like for you? Was there anything different? Did anything change? Oh, a lot of things changed. Um, I mean, it just became a lot more difficult. <laughs> just the actual lifestyle. Just the lifestyle of doing events when you have a small child. Um, that became really challenging. Um, I had my book launch when Rosie just turned four months. And even before then, I already had some promotional work to do. Um, and I mean, part of me really loved it. I was kind of living the dream in a way. I was kind of thinking, wow, is it really me? Am I really doing that? I have a child and this amazing new book that I'm you know, going to meet um, like really amazing food journalists to give interviews. Um, I'm like doing all these supper clubs with these really amazing chefs. Um, so part of me was like, kind of pinching myself thinking how amazing my life is and how like you know it was so unexpected that all of a sudden all this kind of came together for me but on the other hand I think partly because of the excitement but also partly because of this another conditioning that I have about femininity or womanhood and uh, professional life again coming from a very conventional kind of Soviet Russian mentality that women kind of don't really need to work you know once they have children that's it you know that's that for them so having that somewhere in my mind um i think i was pushing myself a bit too much to kind of prove the point that wow it's amazing i'm i'm doing both uh so last year was a bit of a race for me really i mean i did have certain events that i just had to do because of the contract with my publisher and I mean, it was absolutely amazing going to, 
you know, Edinburgh Literature Festival to talk about my book. That was probably like the highlight of my book tour life. Um, yeah. And all those things that I think they really helped me kind of not lose touch with my non-maternal identity. Um, mm. So I didn't get kind of completely consumed by motherhood and, you know, kind of get a bit anxious that I have nothing else going for my life. Um, yeah. So in that sense, it really helped me kind of balance both that I didn't have enough time to get too stressed about the book because I had Rosie to care about and vice versa. Um, but overall, I think I could have been a bit more gentle and could have given myself a bit more kind of breathing space. So I've reached the end of last year feeling completely exhausted and thinking like, oh God, I really need some time off. And look what happened, the pandemic <laughs> that gives me all the time off that I could possibly, well, not even possibly imagine, but yes, the irony of that yeah. is still kind of sinking in for me. I think it's sinking in for a lot of us. Yes. For the time that we've been asking for. Um, it was interesting because you were just, you know, talking about that and talking about pushing yourself. I wondered, you know, through interviewing your other guests, um, but also I also wanted to kind of say that your story really resonates with me because I feel like as women, when we have a very strong um, identity tied into what we do, you know, when our identity becomes our kind of career or vice versa, we cling very much to it when we become mothers because motherhood and being a mum is something that we don't want to become engulfed by. Absolutely. Um, I, I definitely felt that way. Yeah. I pushed myself really, really hard. Um, and I know that so many other women do as well. I've, you know, I've had friends that go back to work after weeks, you know, weeks maternity leave. Um, and so I wondered, you know, how would you have done it differently? What do you, what do you think would have worked better for you? I think to really give myself time, well, it's very easy to say now from today's perspective, mm -hmm. obviously, if I think of myself in that kind of dark, cold November when Rosie was just born, I probably would have really struggled to just you know, let go and relax. But mm -hmm. some of the women that I've already spoken to on the podcast, they have managed to, um, you know, the way they speak about their ability to divide motherhood and work or separate rather it seems very healthy that here's my work it's doing very well but I'm mm. going to pause it for a couple of months um, and then I'm going to get back to it um, yeah so I wish I guess that to me that would be a much healthier approach um, of course you know it's my pregnancy was a complete surprise um, so if I were to plan one again um, but then, I don't know, I was going to say I would wait till a time when I feel more, you know, kind of settled and I know what, hap what is happening with work. But then you know, yeah. everyone says you, you can't wait for the perfect time. You just have to, whatever is, is happening, make it the perfect right. time. Yeah, exactly. So I guess that's not a good answer. Um, but yeah, definitely just internally, I guess, I think it's, I mean, okay, partly I have physically pushed myself. So I did a bit too many events, too many outings and all of that. 
Um, So I would definitely cut back on that. But also is this internal kind of vibration that you just can, you know, you can still carry on with the same life on the outside, Mm -hmm. but it's more to do with how you perceive things on a more deeper level. So I think to me, that kind of stillness and that ability to just slow down and really enjoy the newborn phase because I miss it so much right now, despite all the difficulties we've had with breastfeeding and my own kind of hormonal, emotional state. Um, I really miss it. It's just magical, that little thing that can fit on your chest. Now she's lying, you know, across the whole sofa and she's just like (laughs) huge compared to what she was. Um, Yeah. So I really miss that, and I wish that I could have slowed down in my own head, you know, and just be more present at the time. So yeah. that probably would be, if I'm lucky to have another child, then I'll try to do that. But ask me that again, and I'll say something else because I'll have Rosie <laughs> as well. So yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. you live and you learn. <laughs> exactly, and it's interesting because you know when you when you talked about some of the other people that you have interviewed and separating motherhood and their careers, I wondered, do you feel that you need to separate motherhood in your career? No, no, I don't. Well, that's what I, I guess that's what I'm trying to do at the moment rather than trying to separate because, you know, that's what I've been doing last year and it has proved quite challenging. I'm using this time of the lockdown um, to kind of reconfigure that whole mindset and actually try to embrace motherhood into my career um, or maybe just kind of in my mind move past the thinking that there are all these different elements that need to exist separately and I need, and I need to kind of run in between them and kind of juggle them somehow. Maybe mm-hmm. it shouldn't be like that. Maybe... I should perceive it in a more kind of organic way that one naturally moves into the other and there is no strict boundary. Like I clock out at 5.30 from my work and become a mother. Um, So yeah, I think that's kind of something that I'm working on at the moment. And obviously mother food is being a big part of that. So I have two more questions for you. One of which I am totally going to spring on you. Um, what do you feel is next for you? (laughs) (laughs) That's a really on the spot question. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Okay. If we're going, but maybe just like what feels good for you at the moment? Um, I'm going on a purely like psychological test. You know, what comes to your mind first? And I just say home, just being at home actually feels amazing. I'm surprised at how well I'm coping with this whole lockdown situation. <laughs> I'm enjoying being at home maybe a bit too much. <laughs> I don't know. But mm. I'm, I'm loving home at the moment, yes. So. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. And then my final question for you is, what's your one hope or wish for other mothers? How do you hope to inspire them through mother food or just in generally what what do you wish um compassion to yourself i think as we've already touched upon and discussed um that we can be so harsh on ourselves and we push ourselves so much 
and we all have that critic's voice in our head and mother motherhood i can't even say the word anymore without saying motherhood <laughs> um, <Becomes entwined. laughs> um it's such a testing and trying period um and the mother gets kind of shoved away you know all the focus is on the baby and the mother forgets about herself as well so i think yeah. being more gentle and kind to yourself and something that i've recently it kind of just came to my mind as I was meditating, actually, is seeing myself as a child with Rosie, like seeing myself at the same age as Rosie and kind of That's playing beautiful. together. I know such a beautiful image and it suddenly just shifted. Like I would never say anything to Rosie that I say to myself in my head, you know, how I'm critical of myself, how I... I'm displeased with failing with something. I would never voice that to my child. So why would I do it to myself, you know? And imagining myself as a child just really helped me see that. So I think my advice, if it is helpful, you know, for a mother who is going through a bit of a dark time and is being harsh on herself, just imagine yourself at the same age as your baby and treat yourself the, way, the same way as you would treat your child. That's amazing. Alyssa, thank you so much for having me on to, to interview you about mother food. It's been an absolute pleasure and, and really an honor. Thank you, Kim. Really, it's been beautiful to talk to you. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe and share the podcast. I would love to know what you think of mother food. So please rate and leave a review. You can find me on Instagram at Elisa Timoshkina and do visit my website, elisatimoshkina.com for show notes and recipes featured on this podcast. Okay.